What the Nativity speaks to as well in the issue of abortion is that Christ took on humanity from conception, and so therefore it shows the value and the dignity and the worth of the unborn baby just as much as the born babies outside of the womb. Christ is um, bringing the, the Godhood into the, into the man, and at that point of conception, he is showing that this is the place which is hallowed just as much as the earth that he created. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You're probably gearing up for cosy nights on the sofa with blankets, watching Christmas movies, listening to Michael Bublé, you've got a box of quality streets on the go, and you may be thinking, can't we just have a break from talking about abortion? Just celebrate the holiday. You might be thinking that it's distasteful or maybe even irreligious to talk about abortion and distract from the season of Christ's birth. Should Christmas be off limits for social reformers? Are we hijacking Christmas by continuing to talk about abortion during this season? Couldn't we just give it a rest just once a year? Hi, I'm Beth and I'm joined once again by Tim Lewis. Tim, welcome. How are your Christmas? Hello, everyone. <laughs> How are your Christmas preparations going? Yeah. Yeah, good. Well, I say good. I, I managed to, um, we moved house in the summer. I, I thought I'd done very well getting all my Christmas shopping online. And then I, I realized, um, they kept saying they'd been delivered various packages and I realized, oh, they've all been delivered to our old address. So, <laughs> so that wasn't much of a Christmas win. Um, but yeah, no, I love Christmas. I, I love Advent. Uh, I'm, and I was with you really until you mentioned Michael Bublé, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the one <laughs> time of year that he comes <laughs> out. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well, just that's true. But no, uh, just yeah. as a a bit of housekeeping, um, this is the last episode of 2023, so there'll be no episode between Christmas and New Year. Um, we will be leaving some recommendations of some podcasts, so if you do want to continue listening, um, maybe you're doing a bit of cleanup between Christmas and New Year, and you want something to listen to, we'll put some recommendations down in the description box. Um, and just so that you're aware, come the new year, we'll be releasing on Thursdays, not on Tuesdays. So the first episode of 2024 will be released on January the 4th. But let's get into this question of can we talk about abortion and Christmas or are we distracting and hijacking Christmas? So Tim, my first question is, what would you describe kind of generally the message of Christmas is? Well, I mean, I think obviously there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of fluff and, 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 and perhaps tap that goes along with Christmas. But, but I think um, even for folks who aren't Christian, I think if you, if you, you know, if you want to, if you want to use, I don't know, a call a midwife special as the kind of a barometer of what Christmas feelings uh, Christmas is all about, then I think, you know, I think we'd say, wouldn't we, things like love, peace, hope. I think they're probably values that most people regard highly. Um, they're things, of course, when we look at events in the Holy Land of late, we, we all need 
a bit of peace, don't we? But yeah, love, peace out. Or as the carol puts it, uh, tidings of comfort and joy, we might say. But of course, the carol continues, uh, God rest you, merry gentlemen, that Jesus came to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. And that seems an apt description, really, of the way our culture has been captured by this deceit, which I'd say is from the father of lies, that killing children in the womb is, is socially acceptable, which is part of our culture. It's something we do and we wrap it up, we disguise it in all sorts of euphemisms. I'd say that qualifies as, as gone astray. So as we think about joy to the world and the peace of God and sinners reconciled, we have to remember, I think, that Jesus is the one who saves us, actually, from Satan's power. Uh, abortion is a sin. It was one of the sins that Jesus came to die for. And, uh, of course, teaches a better way, a better way than killing our, our children. So, no, I don't think we're simply dispensing humbug or, or hijacking Christmas by uh, using this opportunity to talk about abortion, Beth. Mm. Yeah, I think... Uh, potentially the church is in danger of kind of sanitizing Christmas uh, in, in an attempt to maybe attract non-believers at Christmas time. Uh, they put on the nice nativity. We like to look at the newborn baby, the fresh hay, uh, the, the softly glowing mother um, looking at her little baby who's asleep, no crying he makes, the animals are all well behaved. Um, and I think as well, people like to think of a baby Jesus because a baby is non-threatening and a baby doesn't challenge people, as you said, to, to repent of their sins. Um, a baby is very much um, gentle, uh, inactive, quiet. But as you said, the reality is Jesus was born just like any other person. And so when we look at the gentle nativity, really what we should be seeing is a very tired, sweat-browed um, new mother, possibly an umbilical, an umbilical cord that needs to be cut. There'll be um, amniotic fluid all over the floor that's being um, mopped up with the hay. The animals are gonna be um, barring and, and mooing and neighing in the background. There'll be um, manure on the floor. There'll be um, the, the wailing of the newborn baby. There'll be a tired mother, as I said, and a newborn father, a new father who won't have ever had this newborn child to look after before, who may be a bit nervous, not knowing what to do. Um, it's a very different picture to the, the quiet, gentle, nativity that we kind of sanitize out the realities of life. Um, and I think we need to remember the ordinariness of this extraordinary event and the very real things that they were dealing with um, in this supernatural point of history where God became man. Absolutely. And I can definitely testify that newborn babies, uh, young babies are not are not silent and not quiet very much of the time uh, at all. But yeah, and, and I think some of the details here are, are fascinating and possibly it's because because they're so familiar or, or we're, we're so familiar with the nativity story, we can kind of pass over them. But even something as seemingly trivial as Jesus being swaddled, okay, so kind of wrapped in cloths, uh, has significance for us if we look at the kind of biblical story, the biblical world. So two things I think are worth pointing out here. Firstly, um, 
we'll go back to the Old Testament in a moment. But firstly, in a work that was written kind of between the Old Testament uh, finishing about 400 years before Jesus and the New Testament, um, the Jews wrote a number of books uh, and we kind of have them. They're kind of collectively known as the, the Apocrypha. And one of these is something called the Wisdom of Solomon. Um, so it's written about Solomon. It's not written by Solomon, but it talks about his kind of life story uh, as well as obviously his wisdom. And one of the things it says about Solomon, it talks about him him being born. It even talks about him before in the womb. But when he's born, when the infant Solomon is born, he's swaddled. So exactly uh, what we see happening to Jesus here. And the point the writer is making in that work, uh, The Wisdom of Solomon, is that although a king, Solomon's life, both within the womb and once he's born, uh, is essentially identical. His origins are identical to other people. Um, and in the same way, I think, um, by including this detail, Luke is telling us that Jesus is 100% a human baby. His gestation and birth are the same as any other child. His, his conception, of course, is very different, but his, his time in the womb after that and his birth are, as you said, Beth, very much the same. You know, in Hebrews 2.14, we read, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So that's the first detail about swaddling. The second thing, if then we do go back to the Old Testament, is that if you read Ezekiel chapter 16, uh, it's an extraordinary kind of extended metaphor. There's lots of these in the Old Testament, especially among the prophets. An extended metaphor that pictures Jerusalem as a female. Um, and initially as a baby girl, as a baby uh, infant, or sorry, as an infant girl who's abandoned at birth. Okay, so she's kind of exposed, we would say. Um, and what makes her case unique is that she isn't swaddled. She isn't washed. She isn't cared for in any way. She isn't rubbed with salt, the scripture says. Her umbilical cord is not cut until God arrives on the scene, takes her in, and God does these things for her. And I think what's remarkable about that is that the fact that Ezekiel could use this picture tells us that God's people, um, the Israelites, would have been very familiar with the, this pagan practice of infant exposure, of abandoning uh, babies. And, and sadly, as we've said a number of times, it was always more common actually for girls, for female babies to be abandoned at birth. And Ezekiel's analogy indicates obvious disapproval of this practice, a kind of inhumane lack of compassion going on there. Uh, and and it, it's fascinating that God is then cast in the role of the rescuing parent, the kind of saviour who comes on the scene. So lots in that analogy. But Ezekiel's analogy aside, Jesus is actually the only infant to be literally swaddled in Scripture. So this is a kind of a metaphor, a picture, but Jesus is the only baby to be literally swaddled in the Scriptures. And that perhaps hints at God's parental love for his child, um, and that Jesus really, unlike rebellious Jerusalem, Jesus will be an obedient child, an obedient son. In fact, Jesus, of course, will be the true Israel. So even in this little detail of the swaddling cloth, there's lots um, the biblical writer is trying to communicate to us, I think. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting. And it's so interesting as well to see how often God can use um, physical things to represent spiritual realities behind them. And so even though Jesus is physically swaddled as you said kind of looking back at ezekiel 16 there's there's a spiritual reality that's going on there um and i think that's the case with jesus's birth as well that it's not just um a physical birth that we're just remembering um an event in history but it's it's so much more about the spiritual 
behind the physical that's happening too. Um, and so just as the situation, the circumstances that Jesus is born into isn't pristine, isn't a nice clean nativity set. So the spiritual reality as to why Jesus had to be born isn't as clean and, and pristine as we like to make it out either. Um, and when we look at this baby, this baby that's lying in the manger, we're looking as uh, his cousin John so aptly put it, at the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Jesus came as a human, born like any other, but with the sole purpose in order to take the punishment for our sin. And as scripture says, the wages of sin is death. So he is born to die so that we might have life. And so tied up in this joyful, hopeful event of a, a new baby where you um, often say, I, I wonder what they will do. I wonder what they'll be. Um, Mary, I'm sure, is thinking um, of all the amazing things that this child could go on to do, this child that was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that the angel said that he will save his people from their sins. Um, all of the expectation, the anticipation as to what will this child go on to do, tied up in that is the reality of our sin, of death and of oppression. And we can't separate out sin um, and oppression and injustice from the birth of Christ because tied up into his birth is all of these things. And so it would be um, wrong to, to simplify the gospel, to just talk about the love and the hope and the peace of this newborn baby if we don't talk about the sin and the oppression and the injustice for which he was born. He came into the world to lay down his life for sinners. And so I think we really have to wrestle with that ugliness um, and indeed talk about issues such as abortion because Jesus was born in order to save us from this, these injustices, from these sins. And it's only by looking at these things that do we really see the hope that is tied up in Jesus all the greater. So let's, um, let me ask you the question then, Tim. We can talk about sin, we can talk about oppression, we can talk about injustice, but can we really talk about abortion at such a time as Christmas? At such a time as this? Well, I think, you know, we, we have to recognise, um, you, you often get these kind of modern spins on the nativity story, and I think they can have their value, can't they? I think there was a, a few years ago, there was a sort of a text, text uh, version of the Christmas story and the nativity story sort of, um messages back and forth or on social media or whatever but i think if we think about the nativity story from a contemporary perspective then certainly a uk perspective um it wouldn't be like wouldn't be the case in the much of the world but we have to realize that in the uk today um most young women in mary's situation and, and bear in mind mary was 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 very probably i well, we can't say with certainty but very probably a, a teenage mum and very probably a, a very young teenage mum. Most women, uh, young women, girls in Mary's situation with an unplanned teenage pregnancy would be ending up where? Uh, not on the maternity ward actually, but the, the abortion clinic, okay? So th that's the first thing to point out, that if, 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 if this was happening today, young women, Mary's position, difficult pregnancy, that would be where they would be ending up. And in fact, a few months ago, we did a, an episode on 
difficult problem pregnancies in the Bible. And there's a number of these you can trace the story through the Old and New Testaments. People might want to go back to that. But so, so, so there's a there's a huge kind of yeah. Looking at the situation today, uh, a lot of people would would instantly think, well, this is a bit of a, you know Mary's engaged, but she's got a baby by someone else. You know, how is this going to end? And that's even before we come to Herod's massacre, isn't it? As he seeks to destroy uh, the infant Messiah by slaughtering all those two and under in Bethlehem. Yeah, and so I think it's quite clear that there are difficult issues that we have to address in the nativity narrative. Uh, it's not just a nice story. It's not just all clean. It is very much a real story about real people who would have experienced real difficulties in that time and the miracle of Christmas is that God humbles himself to share in our humanity with all that comes of that all the difficulties all of the issues um, all of the uncertainty and it is actually by virtue of our shared humanity that we can be saved by Jesus's sacrifice for us the church father Gregory of Nazianzus uh, writing against the heresy of Apollinarianism said that that which is not taken up is not healed. So in effect, if Christ was not fully human, we couldn't be fully redeemed. And so it's only because Jesus actually is fully human, we actually can be fully redeemed. And it's not just that he took on <clears throat> humanity when he was born, but it's that he took on humanity from his conception. And as David writes in Psalm 51, surely I was sinful at birth sinful from the time my mother conceived me so it's not just that christ needed to be human from the time of birth because we come into a sinful fallen world but it's that we were actually all sinful from the time of conception and so christ took on that humanity from the point of conception Irena irenaeus writes in his work against heresies christ passed through every age becoming an infant for infants and thus sanctifying infants and so really it's natural that Christ would begin his earthly life as an unborn child um, because it is from conception that we really do need healing. So the nativity speaks, I think, to the issue of abortion, as you said, because of the unplanned pregnancies that many of our unplanned pregnancies, the inconvenience of them today, they just end at the abortion clinic. Um, in those times, uh, Possibly Mary would have been stoned because of unfaithfulness to, to Joseph. But what the nativity speaks to as well in the issue of abortion is that Christ took on humanity from conception. And so therefore it shows the value and the dignity and the worth of the unborn baby just as much as the born babies outside of the womb. Christ is um, bringing the, the Godhood into the into the man and at that point of conception he is showing that this is the place which is hallowed just as much as the earth that he created and i think we see this don't we tim in luke when um mary and elizabeth meet and um john the baptist perhaps the first person to which the christ is really revealed in that sense we often talk about um the shepherds being the first to come and worship but really in the in the womb, um, John is confronted with his Lord and his saviour and he leaps for joy. 
Um, and I think that's a beautiful image. Uh, it says in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 44, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So this is only perhaps weeks after Mary has conceived. Jesus is very young at this point of time, and yet John the Baptist has already recognised him as another person in the womb. And Elizabeth is already calling Jesus her Lord. And so it's not just a, a clump of cells, it's not just um, some tissue, but, but it is Jesus, her Lord, in the womb of Mary. So, I mean, I would say even days, Beth, rather than weeks, perhaps, because, you know, Luke stresses it, doesn't he? Uh, with haste, Mary mm. gets up and goes to, to Elizabeth's in the hill country. So, yeah, it, it's just a beautiful little vin vignette, isn't it, that Luke paints for us, uh, these two pregnant women, uh, very different stages of life. Um, Elizabeth obviously never thinking she'd be at this point sharing this wonderful moment uh, these two women of course but we've got to remember all the time haven't we that there are actually four people in this picture the unborn John and Jesus uh, have you, as you've said are absolutely key to the action here and Luke we know is a doctor he's a physician um, Paul tells us that in one of his letters and he, he has a, almost as broad a range of vocabulary for pregnancy for the unborn child as the medical writer Hippocrates, who wrote volumes and volumes, of course, of medical treaties and books. So it's fascinating that, that Luke really looks at the details there. And so the unborn John is twice described as a, as a brephos in this segment, which, of course, is a, a word very dear to us. Uh, brephos, it's a word that can equally be used of newborn infants as well as children in the womb. And in fact, it next refers to Jesus when he's lying in the manger as, as a newborn in Luke chapter 2, verse 12 and 16. So this very strong sense of continuity, as you've said, between the child in the womb and the child once once they're born. Um, in theological terms, of course, Luke has already described uh, Jesus' conception, or he's kind of set the scene for us. There's, there's a little bit of a holy mystery to, to it. Obviously, this is the incarnation. This is um, God becoming flesh. We can't completely put it into words, but Luke sort of talks about the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary, it's language that both recalls creation, as the Spirit of God hovers over the waters, Genesis 1-2, and also the tabernacle, you know, so God's presence coming close to the Israelites, uh, filling the tent of meeting with his glory, uh, Exodus 40, verse 35, um, very helpful in that regard. And finding himself in the presence of Jesus, John, who's already filled with God's Spirit, we should point out, Gabriel's told us that in verse 15, uh, responds exuberantly. And of course, on one level, this is like a baby kicking in the womb and you can never tell when that's going to happen or not. It's a little bit random, isn't it? Uh, baby's movements in the womb. But John's movements here clearly serve a theological purpose. The incarnation has occurred. So the incarnation begins at conception, not birth, as, as we've said. And the Lord Jesus is already bringing gladness to his people. Um, so he's not only kind of manifesting himself to um, to John, but he's bringing gladness to the, to the uh, unborn John. And the verb here that describes John's movements, it, it means something like to leap or to skip. You think of sort of young lambs gamboling in a field. It's that kind of word. Um, 
And what's fascinating, uh, Beth, is if you go back to the Old Testament, so when the Old Testament scriptures were translated into Greek, because a lot of the Jews were no longer able to understand Hebrew, um, Genesis 25, which is the story of um, a baby Jacob and Esau kind of wrestling, um, jostling about in Rebecca's womb, the Greek word chosen is exactly the same word that Luke uses here. And of course, that's not an accident. And just as we see Jacob's personality first emerging actually within within the womb as he sort of grabs his brother's heel as uh, um, Esau's been born, excuse me. So here John's vocation, I think, as witness, as witness to the Lord, very clearly begins to emerge while he's still an unborn child. So, so there's something about who John is going to be from this moment. And we also see, I think, that a new age has dawned. So the twins, you know, Jacob and Esau, uh, their conflict has been replaced by by adoration, by joy, in fact. And Elizabeth's uh, exclamation in verse 42, I think is kind of matched by Jesus' words at the, uh, from the cross at the very end of his life in Luke 23, verse 46. So Elizabeth shouts, which kind of heralds the incarnation and Christ's cry at the culmination of his ministry, are like bookends really to, to Jesus' life, quite literally from, from womb, Mm. Yeah, and I think it's so key that we see that um, personality and vocation right from from the womb, as you said, it's so interesting, the personalities um, that emerge in scripture within the womb, as well as just through general experience when when you have those um, movements of of children, it can often uh, show what their personality might be a little bit like. Um, so yeah, thanks Tim. I think this really shows that Jesus's shared humanity from the womb, uh, gives dignity to every single child, uh, even from the youngest zygote, just from that, that instant of fertilization, um, it gives glorious vision for the unborn. Um, and so too does his birth remind us of the awful reality of sin. And so we've talked about the glorious, the adoration, the worship, the dignity and value that um, becoming incarnate from conception uh, gives to the unborn. But just as much as the shepherds and the angels are a part of the nativity, so too are Herod and his henchmen with their bloodied swords, swords part of the nativity and just remind us of the awful reality of sin and particularly the grievous sin of killing children. Um, I think this this story is actually so often ignored or cover up or just kind of glossed over because we are really uncomfortable talking about the death of children when we're supposed to be celebrating the joyful birth of our savior. Tim, um, you recently wrote an article about this, didn't you? Yes, seems to something in premiere uh, this, this month. Um yeah about about sort of the massacre of the innocents or the slaughter of the innocents and, and and there is actually a day in the church calendar put aside in many christian traditions that's the 28th of december to kind of mark this really um this this terrible thing and but but you're right beth in that it doesn't it doesn't make it perhaps for obvious reasons into many um many primary school nativities we might say um you know all sorts of other things make it in dinosaurs aliens in some versions i've i've, I've witnessed but but very Oops, rarely yes. herod and yeah absolutely but very rarely herod and is kind of um yeah in infanticidal soldiers so mm. it's a horrific event isn't it and and we've talked about it in the past there's a very strong foreshadowing um much earlier in the scriptural story in pharaoh's attack 
on the male infants, the male babies in Exodus chapter 1. And Matthew, in his narrative, this is Matthew's gospel now, we've moved kind of from Luke's nativity, infancy narrative to Matthew. Matthew also connects it via Jeremiah 31, 15 with the exile, uh, when Israel's children were, were literally taken away, not necessarily killed, but taken away from their homeland, kind of never to, to see their homeland again, at least that generation. It's striking how Jesus, even at this stage of his life, enters into that solidarity with the vulnerable, uh, with the oppressed, with the persecuted. You know, his family's subsequent refugee status uh, confirms this. Um, you know, our government's very exercised at the moment, isn't it, about what to do with migrants, what to do with refugees trying to get here, where to send them. Well, what everyone thinks of that, this is this is the realities that, that were very central to Jesus' life from, from day one, really. And the other thing to point out, as you've sort of suggested, is it's very interesting. Um, the Jewish tradition was had a very high view of children, a very high view of pregnancy. And sort of a contemporary Jewish historian, uh, Flavius Josephus, who wrote uh, many histories of this period, he, he argues that abortion is morally equivalent to infanticide in one of his works. Um, so for so for Jews of the day and Jesus would have very much have inherited this tradition kind of the child whether it's in the womb or whether it's just been born has an equal value and an equal right to protection actually and I believe we we should see the violence um, visited upon Bethlehem's baby boys as part of a continuum another aspect of the culture of death that also kills uh, the innocent while they're still within the womb um, and as we see throughout the Gospels, as we read throughout the Gospels, Jesus' love for children, you know, Jesus stands firmly in that countercultural Old Testament mold of valuing of, of loving children, including uh, the unborn. And in a way akin to uh, Matthew 25, uh, which is obviously the great parable of the sheep and the goats and, and how our actions, our hearts are going to be kind of judged by the Lord. Our attitude to children, I think, including those in the womb, whether that's one of welcome or rejection, reflects very much our attitude to Christ. Mm. What we do for or to the least of these little ones, we are doing for or to uh, the Lord himself. And so whenever we embrace any child to us, uh, like old Simeon in the temple, it's actually as if we are embracing the Christ child himself. Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting, like you uh, mentioned, that um, Jesus identifies with the oppressed, the vulnerable, right from his early infancy. Um, and I think we're quite keen to pick up on the refugee status of um, the Holy Family in those um, early months, um, especially uh, on the run from Herod. But we're not quite so keen to identify the massacre of the innocents with the issue of abortion. It seems that it's very much if the issue suits our purposes, then we will um, talk about it and lift it up and elevate it. But if it's not going to suit our purposes or if we feel like it might offend people outside the church, we won't talk about it. So, Tim, do you think we in the church are actually hijacking Christmas, talking about abortion, or do you think the church is actually involved in a great cover-up of the injustice that's going on? Well, I think as we've looked at some of these themes, as we've pulled out some of these themes about um, the importance of children, 
uh, the the sanctity of life, the fact that Jesus enters our world as it is, with all its mess, with all its brokenness, with all its cruelty, with all its horror, with all its sin, uh, and he enters it, you know, from the womb, from uh, from conception. You know, th th these are realities that, um, of course, abortion interacts with directly. You know, I've said before that the gospel is about God entering a, 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 a mother's womb, entering a woman's womb to bring life. Abortion is really about man entering a woman's womb, a mother's womb to bring death. So, so there's a direct, you know, parallel here. So as Dave Brennan, you know, frequently puts it, if we can't actually talk about abortion at this time of the year, where we're thinking about pregnancy, newborn babies, Herod's massacre of the innocents to such an extent, if we can't even squeeze a mention or two of abortion into the conversation in our culture, where this is a this is one of the prevalent, if not the prevalent, sins of our age. You know, over 220,000 unborn children a year killed in the UK and rising all the time. Mm -hmm. And those in authority, those in power, pressing all the time to extend that, to extend the upper limit, gestational limit, to uh, strip away what remaining, very minimal actually, what remaining minimal safeguards there are. And we talked about that very recently. And if we can't talk about that at this time of the year, then then frankly, when when can we talk about it? So, no, I don't think this is the church uh, or preachers kind of shoehorning something in to uh, the biblical narrative that's not there. I think it's absolutely central and, and, and focal to the to the infancy narratives. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the question becomes if we are so reticent, so wary, so hesitant to speak about it, what else is going on there? And I think you've kind of alluded to the fact that we're maybe uh, we've maybe been taken in by the spirit of the age and and maybe the fear of offence. And we we just there's certain areas that are kind of no go areas of the Bible, no go areas of biblical doctrine, biblical ethics, because we fear it's gonna it's gonna upset people. But I suppose the question, as I say, becomes who who whose opinion do we care more about? Um, our culture, our society. Or, or the God, the Lord, whom one day we're all going to be uh, appearing before at the judgment seat. And Jesus is going to ask us, you know, what did you do for the least of these uh, brothers mm -hmm. and sisters of mine from the womb? How are we going to answer the Lord on that day if we're not prepared to, to take a stand now on this issue? Yeah. And I think it's quite clear that any injustice in order to be ended has to be exposed. And so if we're in the church not willing to talk about it, then are we actually complicit in helping society to cover up the injustice that is ongoing? And I think just as we can't ignore the slaughter of the innocents then, even if we maybe try and gloss over it, you can't ignore what Herod did. I think similarly, we can't ignore the slaughter of the innocents that is happening now. And quite rightly, we are appalled at the horrific crime that Herod committed back then. We, we think it's awful that everyone aged, all the boys aged two and under would be killed. But my question is, if you wouldn't kill a two-year-old, then why would you kill that same child just a few months or years earlier in the womb? Are we not equally stirred up and grieved by the killing of children just a few years earlier. Just a, they're just a little bit younger, they're just in a different location, but that same child being killed in the womb, why aren't we being stirred up and grieved by that? Why aren't we um, seeing the awful sin of that in the same way? 
And so, as I said, I, th I think we are complicit in the cover-up of this injustice. I think we want the manger, we want the hope and the love and the peace without the reality of the sin for which Christ came to die for. We want salvation without the cost. This year, as we sing and meditate about preparing room for the coming of Christ, like you said, Tim, I think we can't ignore the least of these for Christ said, what you do to the least of these you do for me. So if we're preparing Christ room, are we looking to those around us as well to prepare room for them? May we not reject the plight of those who are being led to the slaughter. So this Christmas, um, as you're preparing for your festivities, let us consider exposing the horrific injustice of the slaughter of the innocents in the womb today. Let us remember that Christ himself spent nine months in Mary's womb. And let us remember the baby and the king who was born to end this injustice as well as all injustices. Thank you and have a Merry Christmas from us here at About Abortion.